Hey, Bill Watkins here, Bill's Poetique, Volume 3, if you will. I'm going to give this one to Andrew Young and Scottish poetry. Could go all over the place. You don't know. You don't know when you start something where it's going to end up necessarily. I'm looking at Ogden Nash books here for some comedy, if you will. Dylan Thomas is out. My computer is on and so am I. No, I'm kidding. That just sounds like a fun line to say. Um, what else? Been thinking about Native America as I often have since, well, I don't know, when I had a awakening out there on the beach with my friend Tracy, who had brought a Native American wisdom book out on a beach trip. It's the only book available. And I reclined in my beach chair and Tracy on hers. I began to read Native American Wisdom compiled by Kent Nurburn. And uh, my jaw dropped and I changed my life. Took a spirit name, that name, Big Chair. I gave Tracy Little Chair. I now use the spirit name Naked Horse. While I'm here in this land, I don't know if I'm going to stay that much longer or that long necessarily. Um, don't want to leave someone like my mom who likes a, a son close by and some might miss me, but I reflect more and more the more I think about it, read about it, meditate about white people like my heritage stealing Native American land the case for that is real strong. I, I read Kent, Kent Nurburn's book, The Wisdom of the Native Americans, and someone who also uh, studies a lot of law, like myself, puts the two together, and it's a compelling and really damning case against my people, English people, coming into a land that already had names for it, and people there, we put our flag down and called it, called it stuff. It was a usurpation. It was a conquest. It was a conquering of a land and people for, for various reasons. And then for some perversions, I mean, sometimes things don't have a reason. It's an important topic in and of itself. What's the motive for the murder? What's the motive for the mass shooting is what you hear a lot about. And I would always write insane acts don't have motive. They don't have a reason. It's just evil. Evil exists. Evil happens. Why does the path to destruction and many are on it? Said a rebellious rabbi named Jesus from Nazareth. A lot of people are having a hard time. I'm battling stuff. Listeners probably battling some stuff. But I, uh, I don't know. guess I go to poetry and keep going. I uh, wrote a big Native American piece and compiled it. It was half editing, half writing new things uh, today. And I'm, I'm seeking new formats to present material. I'm framing uh, poems lately that I work on with including images and visuals. The piece I am working on is called On Stolen Land. Um, 
and I had a vision of presenting sort of some parchment, maybe a roll of, of what I'm writing to various native nations as, as an apology. And, um, I don't know, it's just a vision I had, but I often in the last few years, since I had that awakening on that beach, I pause whatever I'm doing, whatever project I'm on. There's when it gets to native American part of our, our story <clears throat> here in this country, I'm working on a law book called law for the American people. It's meant to be a textbook for high school on law. So I set out like this podcast here, you set out to do some stuff, but you don't know if that's what it's going to be. You just, you have a plan, right? God laughs at our plans, as they say. I have a drinking problem, by the way, always drinking water now and different stuff. Almost 17 years sober of alcohol. I wouldn't drink alcohol. It's a flammable liquid. Yeah, it's just not really smart. Um, it's my opinion. It might keep you from a spiritual awakening too. You know, the only thing that I think works towards sobriety and maybe even a concept like heaven or peace of mind, I think what gets you there, I'll just speak in the first person, what got has gotten me there a little every once in a while is the willingness to feel pain, just to go through pain. There's joy on the other side. Um, so... There you go. Up and down life. Two drug overdoses I've had. And uh, every once in a while, I'm just not sure if I'm going to get through the next night. It can mess up your insides. And I think it did for me. I don't go to Western medicine people anymore. That's where I got all the drugs. And uh, I just go up to the hill and pray and keep it simple. Try to listen. I try to listen, listen, listen. What's God's will? What's right? And it brings me back to Native America, for instance, I'm on this land. There was a spiritual connection between its people and that land. And us, English people, Spanish on one side, English on the other, French here and there, European folks started to, of course, come over and had their own motives, perversions, motives, which one? Was it reasonable what was all done? Some of it, definitely. Pilgrims seeking religious freedom, pretty cool. But there's all those maybe deadly sins. You can talk about greed and things that, that led to some of my uh, predecessors of you know just grabbing this territory. Life is hard. It's hard for all, all people no matter the race, um, if you break it down, everyone's battling something. Everyone's in sort of a war, if a war is defined as a seed becoming a flower, as a Lebanese gentleman, young man, explained to me once his definition of war, a seed becoming a flower. Wow, that's hard. It's a, that's, a, that's difficult. Really a hard thing to happen. And Maybe we're all trying that. We're all a seed. We're, we grew up in all kinds of wacky, weird, and sometimes good situations. But you know, trying to flower while we're here, have some peace of mind, and uh, maybe leave something better for the next group. 
that's a very positive way to look at it. Some don't think about stuff like that much. And um, whew, some are doing well materially. Some, some are not. And some are doing well spiritually. Some are not. I think you know which one I am. I'm doing a poetry podcast. I am dirt poor, but I love life and I love God. And I have peace of mind. I just don't know on the physical drug overdoses left me in a precarious position. I'm still hanging in there um, through the through the various problems that has caused me. On stolen land, you almost feel like sharing it. It's brand new material. Why not bust it out? I mean, <laughs> I came in 1607. My people in armor, seeking fame, fortune, adventure, and romance. Behind us was a land, too, tucked securely between oceans. Ignorance and the Thames ran through London. My Welsh past is a forgotten country. Maybe <laughs> my Welsh past is of forgotten country. Maybe lack of gratitude. Maybe boredom. Maybe status was a prison. The island called Britain. More and more used up in routine. So we shoved off like Vikings, stole land in Vespucci's America, planted our flag for the king, named a region for a queen. We saw the brown people below our fort, traded and fought, said thanks for the furs that kept us from the winter rot. We would have died. I'd not be here writing this if it were not for the princess, goddess, Trump, and other fools call Pocahontas. That's maybe the tease. I think I might stop there. It's a very spiritual piece. It goes into the real name of, quote, Pocahontas. If you didn't know, Pocahontas is a fictional name given to the white people by the native tribe there in modern-day Virginia. Named after a queen, right? Virginia. After the virgin queen, uh, Elizabeth. Jamestown, named after a king, King James. My people were, according to our research on that ship, Captain John Smith, 1607, three Watkins brothers. My last name is Watkins, Welsh. Uh, three Watkins brothers were on that ship. And I've seen other literature that corroborates that. One of whom shot a Native American, according to one book, and I think killed one. I come from military. I come from Politically today, maybe a hard right wing. My father and I disputed up until he passed away. Politically, we disputed you know, the choice for president. He voted for someone I feel is a criminal named Donald Trump. God bless him. I don't 
Don't judge people. Only look at the truth and call it out where I think it applies. Not with anger, but I just, I'm for the truth. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm not registered to vote right now. I'm tired of that mail coming to me when it's voting season. Um, I'm going to take a break real quick. So, as I was saying, uh, Dad voted for that guy, and um, I voted for the the lady. <laughs> and uh, I interviewed Dad not long after that time. Um, my grandmother, his his mom, ran for the United States Senate. In 1938, was the first woman from California to do so. Got beaten in the primary pretty badly, as I understand. Or no, she lost, but she ran. Uh, staunch Republican, conservative. Um, sort of different back then, but uh, you know, Dad was staunch against the lady in that vote, and for this guy who I just uh, didn't quite get, and I wanted to go over and interview him with the main question driving the interview that I thought I might write an article or something about it. The main uh, question driving me there to his house and scheduling a appointment with dad one day, you know, a couple years ago was, uh, dad, um, being a conservative all his life, your life. I'll pretend I'm talking to my dad. You're a conservative, but George Bush, um, McCain, John McCain, all of this. How did you go from that to Donald Trump? How do you, how do you go there? And he said, not surprisingly, that he was the only one who could have beaten Hillary Clinton. So that's the way he ended up going. Um, anyways, probably, he's probably not alone in that boat, but, uh, don't know where we're uh, how I got onto that necessarily. I'm still staring at the part, the next part of my on stolen land piece that I do plan to make sort of a 17 by 11 sort of scroll with some visuals and maybe present it to native tribes across the country someday as an apology, maybe before shoving back and removing myself back to England. I mean, it's been a thought of mine for a couple of years is maybe I should remove myself, leave a spot for Native American to allow the land to flourish again here. It's just a thought. I will um, embark on the next part of this sort of long poem. It's got one in the middle of it from a piece I did a little while back about the real Pocahontas. Her name was not Pocahontas. It was, again, it was a fictional name given by the native people in that region. Um, because they, they premonist and really knew that the white people would misuse her name. And right away, I don't know if I ever put it quite like this to others, but it without saying the words, it's almost better without words, but her name, Matoax, I'm saying it now, with honor, my hands up to God and to the heavens, 
with with honor and with praise because it was a special name. They protected the name. It's really important. Same thing that the Jewish people did with their God, who has become this kind of an entity I pray to also, the Jewish God, Yahweh. I say it never in vain. I say it in praise and respectfully. Same, I, I use the same principles when I say this, this princess's name. She's a princess goddess. And her name meant something to these people. And they didn't want it to be used in vain. So they protected it from white people like Donald Trump. I think you're now ready for the next part of this poem called with love and honor and respect hands to my to the heavens matoax never in vain god keep me whole and pure as i try to explain words fail to describe the oneness with falls rocks streams and nature a people at one praising in song movement and dance the hug with your land complete on a shore invaded by armor. British with Bible were a different thing. In 1607, written on a Roman guide, people came and oneness died. But not before a native princess kept my people alive. She came first to save a captain. Then she visited us when in the winter of our wanderings we had run out of warmth, food, and all other provisions needed to live. Dead and left in the wind until Matoax, and with her God came. Native great spirit, the river of life, warmth and skins, food and love. We were dead in the winter, beheaded in a tent. Our armor and fortress failed, weapons of war useless. She came to us, brought by God, at the princess's feet, we prayed thanks. She, at one with God, us, white and ignorant of the land, the lowest of her ranks. That's the end of part, part two of my work that I put together today. The next part I will read in a moment. just want to shift gears and I don't know, just do something else real quick. I have in my hand Dylan Thomas collected poems. Been battling all week with different things. One of them is copyrights. <laughs> Contacting London publishers and different publishers trying to acquire rights. It's an interesting exercise so I can publish on my website, uh, travelingpoet.net. Um, feel free to check it out sometime. Um, but I'm trying to get the rights here and there. Very interesting. And I'm writing a law book too this week, some writing my own poetry here and there. Anyways, uh, why do you write poetry? Or if you are, do you write poetry or if are you, <laughs> so I'll wait here for, I'm going to wait here for your answer. That'd be fun. I'm just going to wait. Oh wait, no, this isn't a radio show. My bad. So 
I'm going to turn on the light so I can better see Dylan Thomas's work. So far, I'm such a cliche with Dylan Thomas. I've read a lot of the of his work, but I just love to read the one that you all know. Um, maybe, I mean, it should be read at the end of a poetry session, I guess. But uh, you know the one. It's famous. I'm thinking like I might recite Shakespeare as I try to search for the poem here. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometimes too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometimes declines by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. <laughs> so long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. So I recite three poems, that one, another sonnet, by Shakespeare and a poem by Robert Frost that you also probably know, The Road Not Taken. I have those in my brain that I can recite uh, along with some stanzas of Longfellow and different things, but I have three that I love to recite. That was my uh, elevator music while I looked for the Dylan Thomas poem. It's like the poem by Dylan but I wondered if you'd just allow me to read it because I enjoy reading it. I give it an accent that I don't know what it is. Those who are from the United Kingdom sport an accent, an Irish, Scottish, British mixture of those. Um, Cockney, kind of highly educated, articulate, whatever it is. I just throw whatever accent it feels in my gut to use when I read this poem and others. I'll get to Andrew Young, uh, Scott, uh, you know, Scottish bloke, Andrew Young, but spent a lot of time in, um, grew up and spent a lot of time in England. I'm jumping ahead to Andrew Young. Let's talk Dylan Thomas for a second. Same with Dylan. A lot of England, a lot of London life, as I understand. Could be wrong on that. <laughs> Um, but I've definitely heard him, heard him, um, read his poetry. I have a record with some Dylan Thomas on it and, um, he is not, he's not, um, very colloquial. He's not very, he doesn't have a, a thick accent. It's very dignified. What he has is a beautiful sing song speaking voice, very refined chap very high education chap someone's going to say oh of course yeah he's a poet and he was university trained and blah blah i always just pictured him not as much so maybe that's where i bring my accent when i recite his poem or excuse me read his poem i take him down a notch to a poorer person that's in my own head i don't know what it sounds like on your end I love you guys, by the way. Thanks for listening. Okay. 
<laughs> you know this poem. Do not go gentle into that good night. It's the name of it. Let's start. It's really the first line of the poem, and that stood to be names of a lot of his poems. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. The wise men at their end no dark is right. Because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in green bay, in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see the blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. I like to yell it, but if I did, I would wake the person two rooms over for me, and that's not nice at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. We're getting older, middle-aged, am I? I could do a whole show about aging, and I probably will. Some people don't tell people. I certainly think men fail to tell their boys what happens in sex, in life, in love, intimate things. Or was that just my childhood? I love my dad. Over a thousand people donned his and 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 really supported him in well i'm going to say we're at his funeral more than a thousand people touched a lot of people um but i didn't have a whole lot of intimacy or intimate talks with him um that being said i'll communicate to any young young man out there anytime give me a call but the body changes, not just at puberty, but at 30-ish. You get a sag in your body. And then one thing after another in the 40s, eyesight, different things <laughs> start to happen. Anyways, my next, the next part of the native uh, work that I worked on today is from a poem I did a little while back, and I just stuck it in. Uh, looking for Native America, it's called. <clears throat> it's a long journey from Wales to here. 400 plus years of wandering makes one wonder what they feared. We left our father's graves behind, Welshmen and women ground into the winter soil, Celtic calls for adventure, armored up and ready to go, sir. Captain John Smith is noble enough. We can handle this sea. 
this new land, the savage race. Look at us. We'll make the crown proud, become stars, make names for ourselves, but only if this colony comes off okay. We're British and militaristic. We see these brown-skinned people, compare and contrast, seek advantages, a way to squat and succeed. Success is a peace of mind knowing you did your best to be the best you were capable of becoming. Best Christians, John? Best warriors? Best explorers? Businessmen? Reps of the crown? People. The best people we could be requires more looking back than forward if the looking causes you to cringe with regret and shame. Go back. See the poverty of the native tribe, the reservations and shackles of bison spoiled hide, hunted and sold looking for gold, not realizing the real value was in the wisdom of the land expressed through its proud caretakers. There are many differences from nation to nation today, and as much or more between the native nations then and now as the great spirit hides under Western medicine, civilization, and money. Stop taking it. Fight for your land still, Native America. Seek out the documents, the treaties, the promises made. Take them to court and win. Hire attorneys and win. Reclaim and rise. Never give up the spirit to try. We are a part of the land. It is God's and is our pride. They break the rocks for concrete. Burn the blood for rocket fuel. We pray for the lost Europeans that they find their way back home. I have lots of visuals around these poems that I wish you could see, but you can't because it's a podcast. (laughs) You can't do it. So that's part two of my poem of the day. Epic-ish poem, 900 words. Again, hoping to make physical copies print copies of this with the visuals and give them to native leaders across the country someday as an apology. Someone has to do so. Part three, home. Home, what is it? I've been lost in the Welsh seas that is long years of inconsiderate history. Running from this to that, wearing armor still on Jesus of Nazareth's wide, wide path. Armor that we think is safe. Armor that blinds us bound in shame. Prisoners at the gate. We live on stolen land. Follow a set of laws written before conceived thought and prayer dying at the hands of fear, the terror being in consideration and care, imagining we might stop the earth with it. Pause. God, higher power, Allah, the native great spirit, go before us now. How can we ask in Hebrew that Samuel go back up the hill and tell God he or she is king again? What does any God or prayer matter when evil persists in actions above words, the white bully 
continuing to squat here, where there was once reverence in spirit, a oneness, if sought, the gold they looked for under native feet? Could we pause and at least admit what we did? We live on stolen land, so many of us. Follow a constitution of laws without mention of earth, God, or inspiration. We sought and found the secular hell because the devil showed it to us in a beautiful bourbon and water shell. It clanked, shined, and stood glistening as a break from English and Viking general order, change. The flame burned, and we are all moths, to be sure. With poetry or jokes, I fly across the borders of words and proposed truth to smile, even in stolen land. Did that make sense right there at the end? That's the end of my old thing, the big crescendo, and I'm not sure if it made sense. With poetry or jokes, I fly across the borders of words and proposed truth, ah, to smile, even in stolen land. That's the punchline of the night, the day for me is good regret. I believe in good regret. Good regret is honest looking back taking stock and being honest about it, like Alcoholics Anonymous tells me to do in steps eight and nine, really starting in four, we're inventorying, but in eight and nine, we're making lists of problems, things we've done wrong. I believe in it. It's good. Some would stop me, my father, again, who passed December of 2017 at 92 years old. God bless him. Born in 25, Alhambra, where the police station now is in Alhambra. My father and his family were born by midwife. <laughs> um, but if I remember talking to dad a, a lot in the last couple of years before he passed and spending time with him and sharing stuff, trying not to upset him, but at the same time trying to be honest when I study something and I learn something I wanted to share with him. Whether when I, when I was convinced that CIA murdered John F. Kennedy, I shared that with him. And he, would, he didn't like it. <laughs> it was on uh, President's Day holiday. I went over to his house. And I, that's another awakening I had in October of 2014. Um, my awakenings go like this. February 7, 1995, I had a spiritual awakening at the Betty Ford Center where a family member was sister was was struggling and in support of her some of us gathered and a social worker squared me up and i started telling the truth that i had never had a girlfriend that was my big secret i was 23 years old 22 years old 22 and a half had never had a girlfriend so i started having well my spirit woke up because i started telling the truth uh to people and for that to happen, you have to have safety. You have to have a safe place to do that. So Betty Ford was safe. Then Al-Anon was safe. Then AA is pretty safe. <laughs> it's kind of crazy at AA. A lot more cursing and smoke and laughter than Al-Anon. But anyways, another, another story for another day. So that was my awakening of spirit. I had a political awakening uh, in 
October of 2014, um, watching JFK by, by Oliver Stone, the film. I had not let myself see that in all those years. It came out in, I think, 91, and I did not see it until 2014. How long is that? Is that as long as I think it is? <laughs> Wait a second. That's a long time. Oh, I don't want to do math. I want to do poetry. That's a long time. Um, I grew up on the military right wing, way out on the right, Bush family. And by the way, George Herbert Walker Bush, who, who just died, I wasn't grieving. I believe he murdered John F. Kennedy. He was in that group. He was involved with that group. Covert Operations, Central Intelligence Agency. If you research, if you take the time to study, lots of study, you'll find it too. Look at John Hankey's work. Read Mark Lane. Check out Jim Garrison, which is what JFK is, kind of revolves around the story of Jim. Jim Garrison. These are these are patriots. Those are telling the truth when intimidated and and bullied and into not telling the truth and trying to cover up murder. I'm not mad. You start to sound mad. You're telling, talking about the past and things that went wrong and sins. I'm not mad, but I love truth. And John F. Kennedy, rest in peace, was had a lot of ups and downs, was no saint. But at the time of his murder, he was the greatest voice for peace in the world on that day. As was Gandhi when he was murdered. As was Martin Luther King when he was murdered. As was Bobby Kennedy when he was murdered. As was Oscar Romero when he was murdered in El Salvador. As was John Lennon when he was murdered. They were the greatest voice of for peace on the day that they were murdered in the world. In my opinion, I, I'm just pretty sure of that. It's dangerous being a, a high top voice for peace. Very dangerous. It brings a lot of enemies. A lot of people are making money on war and, and violence. And um, mm, it's dangerous to stand up to that. a lot there. That was October of 2014. I stumbled on JFK by Oliver Stone. I finally let myself see it. HBO was airing it so many times at that time, at that, at that time, gosh, some poet, huh? Um, <laughs> that I finally just let myself watch it. I just said, all right, I'll watch this thing. Cause when you're growing up, when you grew up on the military right wing, way out on the right, you don't let yourself see that that stuff. Beyond that, all someone like Oliver Stone, that's quote unquote, that's a conspiracy kook. That's what we called them. We we um though which is called when you start naming people, um giving people names like Trump does, those are ad hominem ways to handle public discourse. Instead of looking at facts. And what may or may not be true, as we do in the in a proper court of law, uncorrupted one, not like the Supreme Court now, which seems corrupted. 
But in a, in a just court, you look at facts, evidence, go where it leads. Um, ad hominem attack, you know, attacks on character instead of, instead of making an argument for the other side, you're just attacking the character of someone or you're, you're just belittling, belittling them or putting them down. That's what, um, that those words mean. Consp- oh, that's it. He's a conspiracy kook. Perfect. Perfect for the CIA. Perfect for those who perpetrate the murder and the cover up is to hide behind name calling. It's a perfect way to go. Uh, they'd love it. They'd love it. I'm going to pause there and, and, and just, you know, pray for anyone having such a hard time in life, as I said last week, that they've been brought to murder. They've been brought to high crime. I was, I've been close to that. I've been to every one of those temptations as an alcoholic. I was suicidal and depressed for three to four years. It's kind of a haze, uh, late 90s and early 2000s. So when you're suicidal like I was, you're naturally sort of homicidal, that the two are going together. You're just dangerous. You're close, when you're on that in that car, you're driving. I, was, I had a car for some of that time. The temptation to just go into the center divider or go into the stream of traffic, jump off a bridge, all these things. I've been tempted to do all that stuff. And killing John F. Kennedy is just evil. And it's just, it's the type of thing that people having a hard time in life that don't have peace of mind, that are alcoholic, drug addicts, that haven't found a safe place to tell the truth yet so they don't get better. Howard Hunt didn't have, I just feel he didn't have a healthy expression of love and life. So became the bagman of the JFK murder. You know, that's just where it all went. And it, you know, somehow it made him money. And he could feed his family, blah, blah, blah. It's the mob life. It's the crime life. Um, and you just do what, and that's, I don't judge him. I don't judge those who, who murdered. I feel bad for them. And it's a hard, nothing's harder than really being them. Being murdered's a bummer. That stinks. And the family going through all of that, it's horrible. The, the side who murders and covers it up and is running, 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 not telling the truth, locking it all up, calling it national security, that's a sad group. I pray for them and I feel for them. That's a hard life. I don't want it. I don't want to get murdered either, but both sides are, are bad. This isn't Charlottesville. This is, this is both sides. Both sides is bad. Both the victim and the, and the perpetrator. It's a bummer. Both of it. Both of them. Life is a war, like I said in the beginning. It's a war. It really is. And uh, I don't know. Are you going to hit back when things get bad? Or are you going to forgive and love? And see how much you can love before, you know, it's your time to, to pass on. Or as the ancient Hebrews said, be gathered to your people. You know, 900 years old and they were gathered to their people in the Old Testament stories. 820 years old and he was gathered to his people. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's, there it is. So I had a political awakening in October 2014. I was able to say hi to Oliver Stone 
at a uh, book signing around a release of his, uh, I think it was a 10-part series, Untold History of the United States. He had a book, and it was with a history professor and himself, um, wrote this book and put out this series. Very interesting, thought-provoking, and he sure was nice, holy moly. I don't know what to say. I mean, it's kind of personal when you're just talking with someone personally, but (laughs) what a nice person. (laughs) Just so cool and humble and kick back. Um, It's been odd hearing him be so pro-Putin and Russia recently. It's weird, but he sure was nice, man. Really down to earth. I told him about my uncle who was chief of naval operations from 82 to 85. That's top operations person in the United States Navy. Um, and he, I, he just said, I wish he could, you know, wish he could read this book. I think my uncle had passed um, by that time. Um, I, we buried my uncle in 2013 that summer i believe he passed in 2012 i'm pretty sure it took a year for him to be interred because of a long line at arlington national cemetery whatever it gets morbid but um sure well i i went to that funeral or to that um to that funeral to that burial um i don't like to fly but i did fly to see my uncle buried i loved him he was uh, not just an achiever, but a, a warm person, super sweet and nice. Knew how to hang out with a, a kid and give him a high five and a hug and give love. He was a sweetheart. It's, I mean, yeah, I was, I was discouraged from going, oh, Billy, don't go over there. Don't go, don't spend all that money and fly out there. No, I'm going to see my uncle buried. I happened to pick the same flight to see him that my father picked by random i mean we picked the exact same flight to go over we ended up just doing the whole trip together maybe i should write a poem about it um anyways oliver stone was super sweet himself it's just really nice it's funny at that at that movie theater in santa monica um on montana i forget the name of it one of these famous movie theaters um it's my drinking problem water um not long i think it was after that i i ran across unfriendly hollywood um i don't know if i should say names but someone else who is a fancy director and everybody knows who he is snubbed me and had security out out in front and making sure no one talked to him um i don't it may have been Robert Semeckis, but I don't. I, I hate naming names. <laughs> no t- target people. My gosh, how many people does Donald Trump target per day on Twitter? Ends up being dangerous. Now I'm sure Zemeckis is a sweet guy himself, but um, had a lot of security around him the d- night I saw him, and uh, just different experience than Mr. Stone. Um, both talented people. Anywho, don't don't take anything bad about these people or Zemeckis, please listener. Um, who, what do I know about celebrities? You just either say hi, they either say hi back or they don't. Um, anyways, so I had my awakening of politics at that time. And then it went deeper that day at the beach. I was at Point Magoo up, uh, central coast. Um, 
up Highway 1 here in Southern California, up to the Central Coast. And um, when I was sprawled out on the beach and we had our beach chairs out there and Tracy had brought that book of Native American wisdom and I had a another awakening um, as to the white crimes against Native America of stealing their land. All right, so I got two more poets to look at. I'm going to look at Andrew Young from Scotland and England, incredible poet. And I'll end with some, maybe some John, um, John Nash, a mathematician. Let's do some John Nash for sure. Let's do some math. I like math. Now that I'm sober, I like math. My brain is pretty good. I'm pretty decent at math. But uh, I was thinking of Ogden Nash, actually. He's a comical commenterist poet that has a couple of poems I like that make me laugh. Uh, he has a lot of stuff I'm not into, but whatever. God bless them all. They have all passed away, so... In reverence, I speak to all of them. Now, I'm going to pick a and Andrew Young poem at random um, here from Winter Harvest, his first book. I have a first edition, 1933, um, of course, that I've highlighted. I mean, <laughs> but I, I mean, you just get into it. You got to do what you got to do. I want these poets to come alive. That's why I'm seeking to work with these publishers and get these poets online. Like, I want andrewyoung.com. I want dylanthomas.com. I want tedhughes.com. And what was last week? katherinemansfield.com. Let's go. And the publishers are just sort of keeping it all to their vest and trying to make money off selling rights along with these books. I just think there could be a, a lot bigger presence. So I'll read some um, Andrew Young, who I also have in recording. And he, uh, whatever, Dylan Thomas and he, and I have some others. I'm just going to babble, babble. No, here's uh, The Lane by Andrew Young. Picked it at random, but I did highlight it, so I think I might like it. Years and years and man's thoughtful foot, drip and guttering rains and mute shrinkage of snows, and shaggy-hoofed horse have sunk this low I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the other room and turn down my lovely roommate's television because I think she's falling asleep. And I'll be right back. And we're back. <laughs> oh, remember? Remember? Saturday Night Live, Jimmy Fallon. And we're back. It's not comedy night. It's poetry night. Okay. I'm going to do The Lane by Andrew Young and just... Sorry about the delay here. I've got silence now. I'm going to enjoy this. Andrew Young, uh, Delane. Years and years and man's thoughtful foot drip. And guttering rains and mute shrinkage of snows and shaggy hoofed horse have sunk this lane tree roofed. Now patched with blossoming elder, wayfaring tree and gelder. Lane that eases the sharp scarped hill, winding the slope with leisurely will. Foot of Briton, formal Roman, Saxon and Dane and Sussex yeoman, have delved it deep as riverbed, till I walk wading to my head in air so close and hot, 
and by the wind forgot, it seems to me that in this place the earth is breathing on my face. Here I loiter a lost hour, listen to bird, look on a flower. What will be left when I am gone? A trodden root, a loosened stone, and by the blackthorn, caught some gossamery thought of thankfulness to those dead bones that knit hills closer than loose stones. Wow. It's Andrew Young trying to do it justice. Just really enjoy this poet. I would call him sometimes as an American, typical American person, the Robert Frost of Scotland. I mean, just not a very nice way to put a poet. He's, he's what he is in his own right. A clergyman, as I understood, and a poet from Scotland, lived in England. Sussex, I believe. Sussex born, or I don't know. I'm not going to do a full biography. I just want to get into the poems. Um, and there's some Longfellow ability to rhyme and meter. And when I say Longfellow ability on that, that's how, for me, I'm using American poets, American terms, because I studied those two, Frost and Longfellow, so much that I put um, Andrew Young in context of those that I studied more, these American gents. But Longfellow, meter and rhyme, when you're at that level, that, that talent, that gift that he had, something I don't have, nor am I, do I want it, but I... Longfellow was able to convey perfect truth to me within that meter and rhyme. I mean, he's just perfect. Everything just worked. It's like you wouldn't change anything to convey what he was trying to convey. If I tried, quote unquote, meter and rhyme, if that was my thing, I, thank God it's not. I just, I'm not into it. Rhyme, yes, I'll rhyme here and there, but, and I'll try to have rhythm, but, um, it's, it's a talent some have to do all of those things, to have really classical meter and rhyme and still make it truthful and awesome. And Andrew Young can do that, could do that, along with uh, Henry Longfellow. They're able to do that, just classical schemes and say truthful things. And it's not contrived or, or it, it didn't, doesn't come off forced. Um, here's the burnt leaves by Andrew Young. They have been burning leaves, dead leaves, the little shrew upheaves, poking in winter for his trifling food, and large black pools lie in the wood. As though the sky had rained down ink, it all means nothing as I think, that more and more are left behind, to rise and rustle in the wind that paws them as a cat plays with a mouse, and June will bring green leafy boughs. Yet often as I watched them run, I thought of you, O blue-eyed one, or thought about my thoughts of you, fitful and feeble too. For as these ran a little way and stopped, when the wind rose and dropped, so I would think of you a little, yet so soon forget pretty good Andrew Young real quick jump into another I mean just picking at random this one's called The Men 
again from Winter Harvest, 1933. I sat to listen to each sound of leaf on twig or ground, and finch that cracked a seed, torn from a limp and tarnished weed, and rapid flirt of wings, as blue tits, blue tits flew and used as swings the binds of old man's beard, when suddenly I heard those men come crashing through the wood, and voices as they stood, and dog that yelped and whined, and each shrill scent his nose could find, and knowing that it meant small good to some of us who owned that wood, badger, stoat, I don't know what that is, though. I have to look it up later. Rabbit, rook, and jay, probably a bird. And smoky dove that clattered away. Although no ill to me at least, I too crept off like any stealthy beast. He's a nature boy. Loves, loves the nature. I'm trying to uh, acquire the rights to publish some of these on my website. Do you write poetry? For what? Why do you write it? I write it to try to please God as I understand God. I try to please my higher power. There's other factors, I think, that, but that's really the main thing. I feel like I got my poetry from God in my dreams and I try to give it back so other people can hear and be inspired, inspired as well. That being said, it's a battle. It's difficult, the idea of copywriting and, and not being able to share great poetry whenever you want, however you want, because some of these things are, quote, owned, which is its own thing. I'll, I might write a poem soon called Ownership. It's in my notes to maybe write something about ownership because it's, uh, it's very English. It's very very white people versus, say, Native American. No ownership. You, you just... It all belongs to God, to higher power, to great spirit. We're just lucky, lucky to be here. Let's all be one and celebrate. So if there's a great poem, hoist it up. It belongs to all of us. <laughs> but we want to get paid. So... And there are laws. So there's a balance of all that, I suppose. This one's called Mist by Andrew Young. Rain, do not fall, rain. Sorry. Rain, do not fall, nor rob this mist at all. That is my only cell and abbey wall. Wind, wait to blow, and let the thick mist grow that fills the rose cup with a whiter glow. Mist deepens still, and the low valley fill. You hide but taller trees, a higher hill. Still mist draw close. These gain by what they lose. The taller trees and hill, the whiter rose. All else be gone, and leave me here alone to tread this mist where earth and sky are one. I'm going to read more Andrew Young next week. I um, don't feel like I'm putting it across he can make me cry sometimes reading Andrew Young because of his love for the na for nature is <laughs> so deep. And it's this, this Scottish 
wilderness that he's depicting. I just dig it, and it makes me emotional because that's close to the land of my forefathers. Wales, Scotland, the Celtic experience. Although I've got, according to myheritage.com, 60% Viking, 60% Scandinavian running through my brain. My brain, yes, my brain, my veins. All right, so maybe we'll finish with some Ogden Nash comedy-ish poems and then finish as I will, I might at least for the second week in a row, I'll finish with some regenerative collective music and interviews at my Native American group, Regenerating the Soil here in Northeast LA, um, a Native garden we're planting, and I kind of will finish with that. Come on out, unless you're CIA with bad intentions. Call us in Huntington. Every Sunday, 11 to 2. I don't know about tomorrow because it's supposed to be raining. Never mind, there's some big football game, I guess, tomorrow. Um, I lost the cap of my water, but I'll just soldier on, as they say. Ogden Nash from the private dining room. Also seeking some rights here to put on my website soon, travelingpoet.net. But for now, I'm just going to read some poems, which is, I would argue anywhere, fair use of bot material. Fair use, kind of a legal term on copyright matters that when you buy material, you have a fair use for it. You can make copies and share with your family and maybe a classroom. And in this case, a podcast, sharing good work. I bought this book, so I'm just saying aloud, this is the legal stuff that is in my brain sometimes. Well, let's see here. I got I got a middle-aged poem, Peekaboo, I Almost See You by Ogden Nash. It's out of the private dining room collection of poems from the 1940s. Middle-aged life is merry, and I love to lead it. But there comes a day... You still there? (laughs) Sorry. And I love to lead it, but there comes a day when your eyes are all right, but your arm isn't long enough to hold the telephone book where you can read it. And your friends get jocular, so you go to the oculist. And all your friends, sorry, and of all your friends, he is the joculist. So over his facetiousness, let us skim only noting that he has been waiting for you ever since you said good evening to his grandfather clock under the impression that it was him. And you look at his chart and it says S-H-R-D-L-U-Q-W-E-R-T-Y-O-P. And you say, well, why S-H-R-D-N-T-L-U-Q-W-E-R-T-Y-O-P? And he says one set of glasses won't do. You need two, one for reading Earl Stanley Gardner's Perry Mason and Keats's Endymion with, and the other for walking around without saying hello to strange women with. <laughs> with. You almost have to read this. 
So you spend your time taking off your seeing glasses to put on your reading glasses, and then you then remembering that your reading glasses are upstairs or in the car, and then you can't find your seeing glasses again because without them you can't see where they are. Enough of, of such mishaps. They would try the patience of an ox. I prefer to forget both pairs of glasses and pass my declining years saluting strange women and grandfather clocks. That's a classic. I don't think I read it really well. It's a really funny poem and cute about middle age and aging that I love and I relate to. That's good stuff. Anniversary, kind of an anniversary poem. The Anniversary. A marriage aged one is hardly begun. A fling in the sun, but it's hardly begun. A green horse, a stiff course, and leagues to be run. A marriage aged five is coming alive. Watch it wither and thrive. Though it's coming alive, you must guess no or yes if it's going to survive. A marriage aged ten is a hopeful amen. It's pray for it then, and mutter amen, as the names of old flames sound again and again. At twenty a marriage discovers its courage. This year do not disparage, it is comely in courage. Past the teens and blue jeans, it's a promising marriage. Yet before twenty-one it is hardly begun. How tall in the sun, yet hardly begun. But once come of age, pragmatically sage, Oh, blithe to engage is sweet marriage. Tilt a twenty-first cup to a marriage grown up, now sure and mature and securely grown up. Raise twenty-one cheers to the silly young years while I sit out the dance with my dearest of dears. It's really cute. Good for the twenty-first anniversary. It was probably written for a twenty-first anniversary of a friend, I imagine, or family member. Uh, do you know the definition of of family, according to the rebellious rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. Family are those who do the will of God, according to Jesus. In other words, maybe those people who are nice to you. Well, I have more Ogden Nash. Maybe keep it for next time. I have um, the making of Donald Trump passages. <laughs> Okay. It's not really poetry. David K. Johnston. That's kind of fun to read from. Let's see if I can pick something out of that. It's kind of fun. Oh, maybe next time. It's not really poetry. I'm just going to spitball. I just found it interesting. I am reading The Making of Donald Trump by David K. Johnston. And I came across a part recently that describes how Mr. Trump uh, gauges and determines his net worth, and maybe I'll, I'll it'll be a punchline to end with. I'm not sure, but I wondered if you could guess how Donald Trump used to measure his met, uh, net worth according to a statement he made in court once. He measures his net worth by how he feels, how he feels that day what feeling he has about his money and where it might go. That's his net worth. So if he feels like a billionaire, that's how much he has. If he feels he has 10 billion, that's how much he has. He said that in court once. He was being sued by, 
No, I'm sorry. He was suing as he normally, as he quite often has done. He was suing uh, a journalist for reporting that he was not as rich as he said he was. I have nothing more on that. So I'm looking around my computer space. I got to some Ogden Nash. I recited Dylan Thomas. I talked about Donald Trump. And I did Ogden Nash. I told you my newest project, which is my Native American poem. And my status here on stolen Native land. Um, I think it's worth meditating for all of us, how we can pause more and think about where we've come and why, why we're here. Do we owe amends to Native America? Yes. Do we owe amends um, to African-American people for the sin of slavery? Yes. I'm from slave owning. My last name's Watkins. It's, uh, I think I went over it last week. I mean, it's, we owe amends. And recently, in our recent history, do we owe the truth about what happened to the Kennedy family? Do we owe the truth about John Lennon, the truth about Oscar Romero, the truth about Martin Luther King and what took his life? Um, Work hard, folks, with me. And work hard on, uh, go into those places someone tells you not to go into. Um, research and God bless us to a safe place we can we can tell the truth seek the truth and tell the truth and love forever if God be for us if God's on our side who could be who could be against us to paraphrase uh, scripture who could be against us if God is for us if we're on the right, on the right side what do we have to fear nothing there's no fear in love, another scripture. I usually don't quote outside the Gospels or the Old Testament. That's from Paul. You know, that's that's the New Testament stuff outside of the Gospels, which I don't usually quote. But there's some it's good stuff everywhere. Just look. I love you guys. Um, thanks for st- uh, stopping by. And uh, we'll finish. Probably have an advertisement here or there. Maybe one for Anchor, the podcast provider for me. And uh, pop over the Regenerative Collective from last week. I grabbed a little recording from from that. God bless us. I, I love you. Thank you so much. See you next week. Peace. Back here at the Regenerative Collective. I got a little cover of Walk the Line going on. You got Walk the Line? here at the Regenerative Collective again on Sunday, 11 to 2, Northeast LA, call us in Huntington with Joseph on the banjo, Stephen on the drums, and uh, regenerating the soil, making LA one corner at a time healthier as it was before the encroachment of, frankly, white people and our own ideas to develop and overdevelop the land, plant plants that were not native to this area, and over water and deplete our water sources. I love you all, and this is uh, our expression and what we try to do every Sunday, and hopefully it will spread uh, to City Hall and all across the country.
is for my podcast, Joshua. What do you want to say? <laughs> Joshua here. He's a former rapper, but he can still flow probably a little bit. But he has like, a great smile. What do you say, Joshua? Why are you here today? To restore the land my ancestors used to walk on. That's keeping it real right there. Restore the land. Just think about that for a minute. Restore this land. Pause. Before you get in your car, before we pave something, put concrete down more. But definitely before you consider littering Mother Earth. Think about that. Restoring the land. Joshua's his ancient, his ancestors' land. Think about that. That's how it is. Simsoni, do you want to be on my podcast? Maybe. So let me just see if I can get him to say something. But I want to tell you something about my friend Susuni here. Susuni here at the uh, the Regenerative Collective. Um, he is the best shoveler you are ever going to see. When you give him a shuttle, he's so nice and he's really um, he's got a good sense of humor. He's a sweet guy. But you give him a shovel, he turns into this. He turns into this shoveling machine, a master of of effort. He zigzags back and forth. He really stay out of his way, but at the same time, he's so loving with it. I don't think he'll hurt you, but he's going to get the job done. After all of that, Sunsuni, what do you want to say to the people here? Um, that I try really hard. <laughs> um, it's a lot of practice that I've put into that. Did you ever see um, Wayne's World, the movie? No. You remind me of Garth. He, he used to play the drums, and after he went crazy on the drums, he just said, I like to play. But that's kind of like you with your shovel, huh? Yeah, that's how I feel. You just, you, I just, I like to work. Yeah, I definitely just like to work. ¿Hablas español? Sí. ¿Quieres decir algo en español de estar aquí, Regenerative Collective, lo que hacen aquí? Pues, pues lo que estamos haciendo aquí es este... No más queremos a, a ayudar a nuestra gente y la gente que estamos en la comunidad. So, empezamos esto en, en, en unos es, eh, esfuerzos pues para cambiar un para cambiar nuestra comunidad, para para ayudar a nosotros como una comunidad. So, este no más que quiero este a uh, uh, Que vengan todos y que que, um, este, que están listos para trabajar y para comer, que traen comida y, y aquí estamos para ayudar lo que podemos hacer. That was Sunsuni, best shovel I ever saw. He likes to play. I love this guy. Good. He's wearing a cowboy hat. You can't miss him. Regenerative Collective every Sunday, 11 to 2, here on Collison Huntington. That's Joseph and Steven playing the drums. I love you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, Steven. Nice talking with you. Alright, let's see. Okay. 
Now it's Steven on the banjo, Joseph on the drums. We got people in cars grooving at the Regenerative Collective. 